0: The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Well, it's, uh, it's kind of a neat thing living in a city where there's a highway right through it. Um, Everywhere where we go and we try to get past the 400, uh, you get a choice, right? You pass the bridge at Mapleview or down by 88, and you're driving along, and you'll notice there's an opportunity to get onto the 400, and you always have two choices. One is the right one, and the other one's the wrong on-ramp or the off-ramp, right? And the off-ramp, I've noticed around here, I've never, I don't know if I've ever noticed this before, but the signs for avoiding the off-ramp are huge. Down at 88, there's these two massive red don't enter signs, right? And, I was, and there's a lot of information about the road because you could understand if you watched any type of action movie that if you get on that off-ramp and you start going the wrong way and you just decide that's the way you got to go, at some point, you're going to have a problem. Do you agree with me? Right? If you get on that wrong road, if you, if you, if you get through that sign and you, you miss that, you just committed, and you get on there, and you get yourself up to speed, right? Because you're going onto the highway, you're going to be traveling at, like, what, 150? <laughs> you do that, right? Right? Some of you guys know how to get to Toronto in 23 minutes, right? Something like that, right? But you get going like that, and eventually you're going to crash, right? It's It's inevitable. Right, So our government, our city, our people, they do a lot with us to make sure we don't miss these hard signs. They're, they're right there for us. Another one that we have is, is the, the yellow line in the center of the road. Just a hard yellow line. And, and you, know, you know when winter comes here and, and all those lines get messed up coming down Mapleview to our church, to this building. Right? It's really weird. You're not sure where you're supposed to be. And the one thing I'm always weird about, worried about is you know, going the wrong way and, and having an accident, having a crash right? We have these hard lines. And and when you're driving a car and you want to get up to speed and you want to go that way, it's really important that we have some really good hard signs, hard lines to make sure we know we're going the right direction. Because if we get on the wrong track, we're going to crash. understand that, right? You drive, you understand that. Well, let me help you with this because um, there are some passages, like the one we're going to be looking at today, where we have to take a hard line approach to understanding what the message is there. If we don't do that, they won't work on us. But if we do, it will go to work on us, and it will help us to just make things more obvious. And we need sometimes to have things obvious. Uh, there, are two, there, are kinds of, there are different types of people, and it may not be obvious, but, but uh, some people take a hard line. They take a hard line, and they reject Christ, which means they reject God's plan for them. They would be stubborn. And, and stubbornness in the Bible is represented, in my mind, by the, the, the Pharaoh, of Egypt, right? The Bible said he had a hard heart. And if you ever watched uh, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and uh, Disney, uh, the Prince of Egypt, you kind of know what happened to Pharaoh. But that story also tells us about Moses. Moses was a person who took a hard line and went to God. For us, we'd say he went to Jesus, and he had a stone-willed resolve to follow him. Moses persisted in obedience while Pharaoh's heart was hard. Now, I want you to understand something. Yes, we understand that Pharaoh was stubborn, refusing to do what God wanted. But Moses was just as stubborn as Pharaoh. Right? He was just as stubborn. And he's the kind of person that Peter would call a living stone. So maybe you're here today and you're thinking, how could I go from that spot of hard-heartedness to this persistent, persistent, pursuit of doing the right thing, because you're saying, I don't know how to do that. I'm trying to make a change. I, I, I see some spots in my life where I'm just kind of like a hard rock. I keep going back to that thing. I want to do it, and, and I, 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 you know, I, I still have a temptation to that sin, but I'd like to make a change, and nothing you've been doing by yourself is working. You could say like what Paul said in, in Romans chapter 7, the good you want to do, you don't do that. You end up doing the bad things that you wanted to stop. He said at the conclusion of that chapter, this is a wretched place to be in. It's miserable. And he wanted it to change. It was a stage of his spiritual life, and he got through it. He got through it. He got through it by going to Jesus. We're going to find similar motivation today for this stage of your lives in this passage. God has a plan for this problem of moving away from heart hardness into this rock-solid kind of conviction to follow Christ. He can change a person who is stubborn in sin and lead them to become stubborn in doing the right thing. He can take a hard rock person and make him or her a living stone. Would you please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2? I want to read these words to you. I want to I say them over to you because it's just such an amazing passage. I've had the privilege of looking at this for months now. And I realize that even as I get a chance to think about these words, they're bringing me energy as we're singing these songs. There's so much of this that we've already been singing about this morning. So um, if the Lord would enable me, I just want to, Proclaim this over you. As you come to him, starting in verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. And glorify God on the day of his visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to look at this today. And Lord, you know I'm asking for your help. This, this passage draws a line. It describes people who reject you and stumble. And it re- describes people who come to you and become these living stones. Lord, I pray for, that you would open eyes today. That you would reveal to us any hard spots that we haven't surrendered to you. That you would give us confidence to serve you, even if, there's, even if we're serving in a place where people would tell us we're doing the wrong thing. Lord, we pray that you just move us, give us this motivation. We ask for it in Jesus' name. So there's a lot in this passage, and this passage has actually given me butterflies. Because Peter gets to write this stuff, but writing it is one thing, preaching it is another. Because we we're going to be preaching through a comparison, and comparisons are a little bit challenging because I have to present them as lists. You have to hear one side and then the other side, and we've got to do that before we reach the, the point. And, and I'm always afraid that I'm going to lose you, right? The same way I get lost when my wife gives me a list at the grocery store. If you ever see me shopping at the grocery store, you'll know that I'm doing it for my wife because I'll just go back and forth, back and forth. I just never really think of how the list flows. So I want to try to get you to tie this together in your mind, all right? Here's the point, here's the motivation. It's like this, if you reject Christ, you will stumble. But as you come to him, you'll change. Okay, that's the point. If you reject Christ, you'll stumble. If you come to him, you'll change. And I'm going to describe for you, I'm going to describe to you the projection, the progression of what happens so that we end up stumbling. And then I want to describe to you what happens as we come to Christ. And then I want to make a point to wrap it up this morning. So that's what we're going to do. So let's begin with the first part If you reject Christ, you'll stumble. We don't always realize our hard-heartedness. Rejection of Jesus isn't always as obvious as we expect it to be. So Jesus talked about this in the Gospels. He talked about a condition called spiritual blindness. It's when we don't recognize that in our own selves there's a hard hardness about him. When we don't recognize that we are rejecting him and maybe for some of it is completely obvious. For some reason, though you reject Christ, you found yourself in this service. It could be you if you're a teenager. It could be you if you're a husband in support of your wife's religious pursuits. It could be you if you're a wife here in support of your husband's pursuits, right? You could be here with a hard heart and you don't recognize it. For most of us, we've come here willingly, but we may have a hard spot. But we may not see it, but we might be suffering from it, going like, I wish that I could change. I wish that I could change. So in order to help us see that, let's bring it into focus. If you reject Christ, you'll stumble, and here's how you see it. If you reject Christ, you'll disagree with God. You'll disagree with God. Look at verse 4 again. As you come to him... A living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. If you look just at these words, rejected, but chosen and precious. Rejected, but chosen and precious. The word but sets up a a comparison between rejected by men and chosen and precious by God. Right? The the men, the people that that are rejecting Christ, they look at Jesus and they want to leave him alone. They don't value him. They don't choose him the way Jesus would. For some of us, if you go right back to your childhood, Jesus for you is like the lima bean on your plate at supper. Did anybody ever learn to like lima beans? I get that vegetable soup and I always left them at the side, right? They're just a, like an ugly green pill, right? And you just, you cast it aside, you don't want it, right? And you leave it there, you finish the soup, you're like, I'm just not going to take that part, right? But someone put that in there because they assumed it was going to be healthy for you and they're right? Right? And we, and we look at that and we say, I don't want that. I don't need that. I disagree with you, Mom. I disagree with you, Dad. That's not going to be healthy for me. Right? They reject the choice. They reject the value. So Jesus is God's precious choice set before you so that you can come to him and begin to grow up spiritually. That's why he's been given to us. But you've rejected Jesus because you value something else. That would make you a hard rock kind of person. That would make you a person with hard-heartedness in your soul. You have a hard heart, and because of that, you continually disagree with God. And you've entered the wrong ramp, and you're driving down the road at the wrong speed at too fast, and something bad's going to happen. We can see more to this, though. If you reject Christ, you'll feel offended at the thought of needing a Savior. If you reject Christ, you'll feel offended at the thought of needing a savior. And in this case, the cornerstone song that we just sang, that cornerstone, right? That cornerstone, Jesus is the cornerstone for someone else, but not you. That's someone else's song this morning. He's he's the corner of someone's life, but not yours. For you, he's the stone the builders rejected in verse 7. And you're in trouble with God because Jesus has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's how you feel about him when you really get down to it. You feel you don't need him, you don't want him, you can't use him, he's unsuitable in your life, there's no reason to use him. It's offensive to you that someone would suggest that whatever you're going through right now, that Jesus, Jesus has a solution to that. Maybe it's because you're a little bit more independent than the other person. You think, I'm going to figure it out on my own. right? Maybe it's one of those reasons. But for whatever it is, the feeling of rejection of Christ is this offense. And... It's offensive. Jesus said it himself, no man comes to the Father. No person who's seeking God will get to him except through me. That that statement's offensive to atheists. It's offensive to Muslims. Those are just two that I could think of. There's all sorts of others, right, where they don't want to centralize it about Jesus. Give me some other way. It's it's offensive to people that are new age, where they're thinking, hey, I can just be good. I I don't need a spiritual leader like Jesus. I just need to be spiritual, right? It's offensive, If you don't believe in Jesus, he has no right to tell you anything. That's how you feel, right? Don't don't tell me about Jesus. I don't need to hear about that. Or you might hear something from the church when you're going the wrong way and and someone from the church might come and they want to put their arm around you, brother or sister, and say, hey, look, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you something. And they tell you that and you're like, what grounds do you have to tell me how to live? I don't even believe this word. I reject it. I, I can't believe you're using this Bible to tell me what I should do right now. That's how a hard-hearted person feels when you touch on that spot that's hard. That's how they feel about Jesus. So being offended by the gospel is a sign that you might be suffering with this spiritual blindness. It's a sign that you may have rejected Christ, either wholly or at least still, even under the title Christian, with some part of your heart. It's still hard. And there's that offense that kind of points it to you. So it's a sign. And it's there to help you recognize that you might have this problem. There's more to that diagnosis. If you, if you reject Christ, you'll end up disobeying the word of God. If you reject Christ, you'll end up disobeying the word of God. So we have in verse 8, the conclusion of it, an explanation for what? For why people crash spiritually, why they fail morally why they get off track, why, why some of our, our marriages aren't the same as other of our marriages, why some of our business careers aren't the same as others of our business careers, why some of us are having problems as we navigate life. It says it right here, the end of verse eight. They stumble because, do you wanna finish it for me? Yeah, you don't wanna read that, right? It's too clear, it's just too, it's, is that why I'm messing up? Come on, it's gotta be something else, right? It's because I didn't understand your sermon, it was too hard, right? It's the church music wasn't right. Uh, we didn't have enough services or we had too many. Um, you know, the girl was too attractive. The drink was too close, um, right? It was too, too, too much. It's not, it can't be that simple. They stumble because they disobey the word. They stumble because they disobey the word. This is the explanation for why we mess up. Stumbling, it doesn't sound like a bad thing, right? Just oops, I, 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 I tripped over something. Right? It sounds like such an easy term, but don't, don't mistake it. it it's, it's milder than failure, but that's what it means. It's disastrous for us. Rejectors of Christ hide their moral failures behind easygoing words. Okay? You know this. You've used these things, but you've heard people with hard hearts talk like this. They say things about their sin like, hey, it's, it's not that bad. You know? Yeah, you, you caught me doing that, but it's not that bad. Really, it's not that bad. I don't have a problem with that. Or no one's Perfect. Don't expect me to do that way, right? No one's perfect. You start talking about a perfection as though, oh yeah, I just missed it by a little bit, right? Or you say, "Uh, no one's getting hurt by what I'm doing, right? Look, it doesn't really matter. I've got this under control. You look around me, nobody's suffering by my sin. Nobody's suffering because I've decided not to do this, so you can't tell me it's wrong. I can continue to reject Christ. There's no problem with it. And this is how they persist in sin, Right? Pharaoh had the, the, his magicians come to him and say, okay, is this a problem? Moses did this thing with the snake. Can you guys do that? And yeah, we can do that. Okay, it's not a problem. Don't worry about it. Sorry, right. we're fine. Right? To his demise. This is how they persist in sin. They don't connect the dots between their rejection of God's authority and their inability to change spiritually. You have to draw that line. Right? You reject Christ's authority. You can't do what he's asked you to do spiritually. You cannot sidestep God's word and expect growth to follow. Somehow God puts the stone in the way, right? It says, it becomes a stumbling block to you. It's as though Jesus, you look at him over here and you're like, okay, I'm not gonna walk that way. And you start walking, oh, I tripped over it. It's God moved the stone. It keeps getting in front of you and you have a problem. Wherever you go, Jesus is there and you keep tripping over him. You're like, I gotta get away from this. this. I'm offended by this. It's not working for me. I don't wanna do this stuff. And yet he's right there. You keep tripping over him. So it's inevitable. If you reject Christ, you will stumble. It's just a matter of time before you trip. You agreed with me in the beginning when we were talking about cars. If you get on the highway and you drive down the wrong side on the left side of the road, right, you will eventually hit a car. Something bad is going to happen. It's the same thing here. It's part of the design. There is a consequence appointed for those who reject the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. They will be tripped up. It's their destiny. It's as they were destined to be. If you look at that, look at the end of, of that verse 8. They will, be, they will uh, be tripped up as they were destined to be. That's the, those are the last words there. Do you see them? It's their destiny. Now that word destiny, it doesn't sound like a church word. Right? We don't name our kids Destiny. We name them Esther. (laughs) Right? Destiny sounds a little bit mystical. What's happening there? I have a destiny. Right? You go to to the palm reader to get your destiny, right? But here it's really a word about plan and time, and God is the master of plan and time. And that's what this word means. The word that stands behind this is you have an appointment with failure. All right? That's what this means. It's their destiny. It's God has made an appointment for you. You cannot continue to reject Christ and expect that you will miss this appointment. It's because he has a plan, and his plan is this. He did not design life and eternity for people who reject him to win. He, he designed life and eternity for those who will obey, and those are the winners. So this passage This part about destiny just says, if you continue to reject Christ, if you live in a hard-hearted place, if you're a total hard rock and you're just going to do that, you have an appointment in time, according to his plan, you will fail, you will fall. He's not out to get you, it just says, this is the plan, that is the end of that decision. And so this passage stands as those two red warning signs on Highway 88 or anywhere else where you're trying to get on the highway and go the wrong way. It's so that we can see it. We can see ourselves in this pattern of, of disagreeing and feeling offended and, and disobeying the Word of God and recognizing that we're tripping and starting to realize, well, wow, I have an appointment with disaster here. And so let me ask you this by way of application at this point. We've completed that part of the side of this sermon. If you recognize yourself even a little bit, consider, th- consider this a temporary relief from your spiritual blindness and see. See this, that God has designed life in heaven for people who will obey. Stop rejecting him in the area that you are hard and repent. I'm pleading this for you. Our hearts break over this. Pastor Roger and I, we talk about these things because our, our, we manage this. He manages it from the real disaster side, but we, I try to manage it from the protection side, get you into a small group, you know, try to avoid these things. And, and Roger sees, hey, you know, I, people miss that line, and, and I'm dealing with the people driving fast down the wrong way, right? He's trying to fix the cars after they've totally been destroyed. And our hearts are that you would change. So we finished that list. We're going to talk about coming to him now. We're going to talk about coming to him now. So as you come to him, you'll change. As you come to Jesus, you'll change. This is our encouragement. It's so simple. Don't miss it. As you come to Jesus, you'll change. It's part of the plan. As you come, you become part of the living temple. Let's look at verse 5. That's where this all started. And as we look at that, make sure you hear this, okay? The verse 4, as you come through Jesus, as you move towards him. Now look at the verse five. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As you come, that's how you access this. As you come, it's not a static thing. So in your mind, you have to picture stones moving around Get any thought of Stonehenge out of your head right now. Stonehenge is not going to do for us. Don't be thinking about pillars, even the Pillars of Harvest Church. That's not the church. That's the truth this church is formed on. But the church, the true church, the living temple is living stones. And they're moving around in this choreography called corporate worship. That's what we're doing today. And in the Old Testament, the iconic place of corporate worship, if you read it all, it was in the Old Testament at the physical temple. And and God arranged his people just the way he wanted to. And he had them doing things that he just, he wanted them to do so that he would receive honor and glory and they would have their sins taken care of and everybody would have this wonderful relationship with God and the world would notice and remark and say, God is with those people. We are the living stones, part of this living temple. And after Jesus ascended, we, the church, are that living temple. It's a spiritual place. We are the living stones forming the walls of a temple that you can't see, but you feel it, you sense it when the Spirit gathers believers together in obedience. You can sense the Old Testament priesthood, those that ministered before God, between God and, and the other people in the community. You can feel that work in the practice of the New Testament, one another's when we work together to help each other to to, uh, minister through their pain, to, to provide relief, to take care of their needs, to direct them back to God, right? You feel that. You recall the Old Testament sacrifices in the good work of the New Testament church to bring the gospel to the poor, to the sick, to the at risk, and the marginalized. So as we come, as we come, we move into this dance called worship, right? We're not called to just sit and be the living church. We move living stones. We're not monuments to what God has done. We live towards it. The Holy Spirit moves us into positions that God delights in. That's what it means to be a living temple. It's part of this choreography. But there's more to this. As you come, the things you're concerned about here, your worship, your walk, Your work, they'll actually matter. It won't be in vain. All that you pour into being a religious person, all that you pour into being a Christian, it matters as you come. Here's what Peter says about this. He says this, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you. There's going to be honor at some point and it belongs to people who are coming to Christ, who are these living stones. The honor is for you who believe. Peter, when he writes this, he's picking up on something that Isaiah, the prophet, wrote in in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 28, uh, 28, 16, if you're quick, you can go back there. I'll show it to you. I want you to see that, right? Peter says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, but Isaiah, in chapter 28, verse 16, we'll just do a quick little moment of Bible study. If you look there towards the end, just before 17 begins in my version, it says, whoever believes will not be in haste. Now, it's a subtle thing, right? Whoever believes will not be in haste. Peter says, whoever believes will not be put to shame. Isaiah wrote originally, whoever believes won't be put in haste. What's happened here? Why is there a word change? Those things capture my attention, right? Those things capture my attention. It was here, now it's here. What's, what's the difference between being put to shame and being, and being in haste? And the two ideas are linked. The only challenge is that, when Isaiah was writing, he was speaking in Hebrew. And Hebrew is a language that expresses action. Action, the action of being ashamed or being found unworthy is we feel like fleeing away from God when He comes to judge us. Right? And so, uh, Adam, when God came to find him after he'd sinned, he, he hid. Right? But he hid because he was ashamed. Greek is what Peter's speaking, and he uses the word shame to illustrate the same thing, thinking that they're going to be found unworthy. So those who reject Christ, if God shows up on the day of visitation, they will be found unworthy. Their actions will be put to shame. They will have to run away in haste. They will be jumpy if God showed up, right? But the people of God, the living stones, they're growing stronger and having this confidence that if he comes up, they're not going to be put to shame. They're not going to be put to flight. They're going to be able to stand. They're not going to be jumpy. They're settled about serving God. They're stubborn in it, and they're stubborn about it. You know, as the movies go on, as they show these stories with Moses going up to Pharaoh, you never see, Moses continues to go back, and as he goes back and realizes God's with him, he just gets more more, and more bold, right? He's just persistent. Let my people go, Pharaoh. Right? He just tells the Pharaoh what to do right? Because he's not jumpy. He knows which side he's on, and he knows God stands on that side. So as you come to Jesus, he teaches you what to do. You've been doing your own thing, and it hasn't been working. So Jesus starts to tell you what to do. He teaches you what to do. So you're not wasting your life worshiping. So you're not worried about how you're walking, and you're not wearied by your work for Jesus, right? Living stones. The stone part is that you're strong, What you do for Jesus is solid, and you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to be jumpy in your faith. And there's more to this still. As you come, your calling and identity are clear and pure. Let's go back to 1 Peter. Look at verse nine, particularly. These are those words. You probably love them like I do, right? Just close your eyes. Just do that. I'm gonna try to do something here for you, right? You know, you've come in today and you've maybe been called something bad. Or you've been, or you thought, man, I'm not worthy. And, and as Jordan said, you looked in the mirror and you realized, I'm not all that. And that's true. But this is also true. You are a chosen race. You are part of this royal priesthood. You are part of a holy nation. You are a people of his own possession. And you are meant to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light that's who you are. You can open your eyes. We need that to penetrate into us. That needs to solidify, right? That needs to, be, that needs to be all over us and inside us so that we're solid in that. It's part of our calling. It's part of our identity. So just like every other church, Harvest is called to do these things, to enthusiastically announce the greatness of God. And that's why he moves us from darkness to his light. So this is what we do. We choose to worship Him publicly and praise Him openly because we're enthusiastic about what He's done. And when we talk about Him, we don't talk about fear without talking about our Father. And we don't talk about our problems without acknowledging our provider. And we don't talk about our hurts without raising awareness for our helper and our healer. We don't talk about good without talking about God. And we don't talk about change without talking about Christ. Amen? That's what it means to be enthusiastic about what we found. That's what it means to live into this calling that all these things we go through, we don't just list them off as a set of complaints. We use them as opportunities to point people back to God. This is how we proclaim His excellencies. We're enthusiastic about this because it's our new identity I heard someone tell this, this illustration uh, of, of, of their identity, their passport, and they're, they're at, a, at an airport, and they pull it out, and it reads, I'm Dwayne Francois, and my passport says I'm Canadian. But in reality, if you consider what this says about me, I'm actually Heavenese. I thought it was corny too. <laughs> but it illustrates what we're trying to celebrate here. Right, We have a new identity, and it's over top of everything. So yes, I'm Canadian, but I actually have an identity that's more associated now with Jesus Christ. We're chosen. We're royal, holy, pardoned, and debt-free, and we belong to God. That's what it means to say I'm heavenese. Right? And we need to live in that identity. And there's still more to this. As you come, as you come, your goodness for God becomes undeniable your goodness for God becomes undeniable you need to know that Peter this is the whole reason why he's written this section right if you look at verse 11 it starts with this one phrase beloved right he starts where we end every service you are loved that's what this means you are loved the people that I love listen I love you he's saying and I need you to know something right I've listed all this for you. I've told you about what it's like to be someone who's hard rock and rejection. I've told you what it's like to be a living stone and this is why. Because when you do this thing that Jesus is leading you to do, when you become part of the living temple, when you get into this calling and identity, your goodness becomes undeniable. So beloved, he gives them this warning. I urge you, right, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, honorable, so that when they speak against you, when they say that what you're doing for Jesus is wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Let me tell you, that's an encouraging thing to me, right? Because there are lots of places where God has you and you have to do what he wants and people are going to continue to condemn you for it. So Peter offers to us this travel advisory, Right as people who are traveling in this world, not of this world, but in the world. And he says, you know, I want, I'm going to give you this note. And instead of saying, hey, while you're, while you're hanging around in Canada, instead of saying, don't drink the water as you might get, he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh and keep your conduct honorable. Why does he give this advice? He gives it because if you persist in doing right, if you're stubborn about it, even when the world says you're wrong, Your obedience is the sign that points people to God. Make no mistake about it. When Peter uses the phrase living stone, I think he's calling us to become stubborn about obeying God. Right? And that's good because a lot of people might hear say, I'm a stubborn person, right? God can use it. You've just had it going in the wrong direction for a while. That's where you've been hard. If you give that to God, he's going to use it to do something with your life. He knows that God will use your stubborn obedience to bring him glory. So he wants to use you like he used Moses in Egypt. Moses obeyed his calling and held to his identity despite Pharaoh's resistance to God. So from Egypt's perspective, you have to understand, Moses walked in, and he, he walked in challenging their ideas about their culture and how they were going to get labor done and all this stuff. It was totally right in Egypt's eyes to hold another nation that they conquered and another nation that they controlled as their slaves so they could do the work. That, they had no problem with that. And Moses came in with a command from God, And a perspective that came from God, and he saw this. He said that slavery was in conflict with Israel's freedom to worship the Lord. He was doing the right thing. And God used his stubborn persistence to make a change. Eventually, God brought Pharaoh to the the realization that it's better to let the Israelites leave than to hold them as slaves. God did this through Moses' stubborn obedience. He did this through Moses. Moses was a living stone. And that's what God is going to make you as you come to him. Well, you might want a more modern version of this kind of thing to say, well, maybe that's in the Bible, but you know, does it really happen? Well, we got another story that came out recently, and, and I, I haven't seen it yet, but from this movie Hacksaw Ridge, we're hearing about an officer from the World War II um, fight in Okinawa, I believe it was. His name was Desmond Doss. And Desmond was a conscientious objector which meant that he disagreed with the command to go to war because for him, it meant that they were going to go murder. And for him, he couldn't do that. As a conviction, out of his relationship with God, he said, I can't, I can't go and kill people, even if there is a war declared by my nation. So he went. He chose to be um, a combat medic. And as a part in his story where he went and, and saved set more than 70 of his men, I believe, including some of the enemy. He was, he was rewarded for that. They used to think he was a coward because he wouldn't hold a gun out of his convictions, and they realized he was a hero and still had courage. They called him wrong, but he did the right thing. I think he was a living stone. He was a believer. And his story is winning glory to God. Living stones are signs for the world to respond to. Your testimony survives long before long after you do. And people will come to see it when God shows them. And they'll, they'll look at your life and they'll say, "You were in the right." And that gives glory to God. What you do for him in your marriage with to an unbeliever, at your school where people put down your faith, at work, where the guys don't want to see you stop and pray or hear about how you spent your time in your small group praying for the needs of someone else, right? But yet they see you do that over and over and over again, right, that's a message to them. And when God shows up in their life, he's gonna point to what you've done and he's gonna use that to bring glory to him. So let me come back to people that came in looking to change and make a final appeal, because this is broad. It could be anybody, anything, but specifically to those that have a hard heart or a hard rock place in their heart. I want you to give it up. Peter wants you to give it up. Jesus wants you to give it up. Give up the idea that God is not good or that he doesn't care about you or that he's not real or that he won't provide what you are longing for. Your stubbornness against coming to Christ is ruining your spiritual life. It's keeping you from doing your best work. It's keeping you from your best relationships. And it's been keeping you from Jesus. You need to get out from this miserable place, this miserable spiritual place of wanting to do good but not doing good, of not wanting to do the wrong thing but doing it anyways. You need to get out of that spot by getting solid with Christ. Come to Him. Come to him. Let him be your cornerstone, which defines everything else for your life. Let him be your cornerstone so you can become a living stone. Let him define your up and your down. Let him level you off. Let him build you up. Let him lock you in. Let him surround you with other people who will be stubborn in obedience. So if you're here and God has opened your eyes and you know that it's time to change, come to Jesus come to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca And remember, you are loved.